Well, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Name that show. Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. That's right, yeah. <clears throat> you know, when I sang that at the last service, they clapped for me. I'm just, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. <laughs> I, yeah. Anyways, <clears throat> um, so Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, uh, that was one of my favorite uh, TV shows growing up. Anyone else watch Mr. Rogers Neighborhood growing up or, or your kids did? Yeah, it's been on for like 30 years or something now. Um, it's off now. But um, Jenny and I, my wife, we went to go see uh, the movie that's out, the documentary that's, uh, that's playing on it. And uh, I don't know if it was something with like the screen and the theater or what it was, but my eyes just kept watering the whole time. An hour and a half, I just kept crying. I don't know what it was. Um, anyways, uh, today we kick off a new sermon series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And so there might be a few Mr. Rogers quotes here and there, uh, but we'll be spending most of our time not with someone who uh, wore sneakers and a red cardigan, but someone who wore sandals and a robe, this Jesus guy that we talk about from time to time. But did you know that Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, was actually uh, an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church. And so much of his, uh, the teachings that come out from his, uh, in his TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, are, uh, come from a deep place of, of his own faith and his own uh, personal convictions. Um, but both Fred Rogers and Jesus, they came with this message a message that is grounded in something that connects to every person and something that connects every person to another person. Something simple, but something so hard to understand and do is love. Fred Rogers would say it this way. He would say, the greatest thing that we can do is to let people know that they are loved and capable of loving. That sounds an awful lot, a lot like something that Jesus would often say when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. You may know that as the golden rule or, or the great commandment, and it shows up in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so each week throughout this series, we're going to take that great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, love the Lord your God, and, and we're going to dissect it a little bit, uh, take a deeper look at it, because Jesus said this a few times. Uh, but one time that, that he said it, it was in a series of these investigative questions uh, from the scribes, or from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were two groups of the religious leaders of the Jewish faith at the time. And the Pharisees were, uh, they were a pretty corrupt group, and so they were trying to catch Jesus on this issue of money and where his allegiance was in comparison to the Roman Empire. And then the Sadducees, they didn't believe in, in afterlife. Life of any kind. So they're trying to catch Jesus on that. And so the Pharisees weren't fair, you see, and the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in an afterlife. I just discovered that like six months ago, and like, boom, my mind was blown. Um, 
Anyways, Jesus stumps both of them uh, in their investigative questions, uh, but they weren't done questioning him yet. They, they still have one more that they're sure this time, this time we'll get it. We have the question. And so Matthew, the gospel writer, tells it this way. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together then. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? That's the law is the, the Old Testament or the, or the Jewish Bible. What's, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Like it meaning that, that it's on par with the first. That they go together like peanut butter and jelly. You can't have one without the other. They are so intricately tied together that they are one. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, everything that you've known and have put your faith in and have come to read throughout scripture, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks is is focus on this second commandment, but it's not second in terms of priority. It's second in terms of order, but really there's no order because the first and the second are really just one commandment. Are you with me? Okay, so I want to begin at the end of the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. When Jesus says this, he sets a whole new standard for how to live. That self-love becomes the standard for loving others. He sets a new standard for relationships, a new standard for neighboring, a new standard for love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love for neighbor and love for yourself are now inextricably bound together. You are capable of loving others to the extent that you love yourself. You are capable of loving others to the extent that you love your own self, but no more than that. And so, even if you've heard this before, love your neighbor as yourself, that's, that's a great rule, and, and you're still not sure about the church thing, you're not sure about the Christian thing. Did you know that Christianity, building upon this kind of Jewish principle that Jesus lifts up, gave rise to the notion of human dignity and human worth. It gave rise to the idea that that humans have intrinsic value. The idea that human beings are lovable and capable of loving others, all that comes from Jesus. And Jesus' interpretation of the Jewish scriptures. And, it, and it's now become just so ingrained in our worldview that it's just a given. I mean, it, it rules over kind of all of our, of our laws and our principles and, and our values in our culture, right? That, that there, there is this golden rule, this golden standard that we have. But, but it all began, it all began back with Jesus. But for the people of the first century who first heard Jesus say this, it was radically new. 
And so Jesus' followers would later go on to expand upon this idea. John, one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote a few letters. We got a couple of them. Uh, In his first letter that we have, it, it says this. It says, God is love. The truest expression of who God is is love. Not that, just, not that God just is loving, but God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Skips down a few verses later and he says this, We love because he, God, first loved us. So Jesus says also in Matthew, that whenever, whatever you have done for the least of these, you may have heard that term before, whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, those who aren't able to have those basic needs of theirs met when he's talking about it, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, those, uh, those who uh, don't have a, a place to lay their head, whenever, whatever you have done for the least of them to help them out, you have done it for me because I am them and they are me. To love them is to love God. And if you're loving God the right way, then you'll love the least of these. But what I want to ask this morning is what if, what if the least of these is you and yourself? What if the least of these that, that needs love and attention is you and yourself. And I think with the prevalence of depression and anxiety and stress and addictions and abuse and just the list goes on and on and on, I, I, I think, I think that, that those are signs that we need to learn again that, that really valuable lesson we need to learn again to love ourselves. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that, that as yourself part, it's not, just a, it's not just a passing footnote. That it's part of the whole. It's essential to it. It's, it's foundational to those commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. That Jesus says, this is a commandment. <laughs> I command you to love yourself because... Because, because, because it's really hard to love your neighbor when love to you is a stranger. It's really hard to love your neighbor when love to you has been a stranger. At least I've found that to be true, that that the people that haven't been shown much love in their life, they have a really hard time loving others. And maybe, maybe you know that all too well yourself, that it's really hard to love your neighbor when love to you has been a stranger for far, far too long. And I would bet that there's some of us that we're nodding our heads. Yes, God is love. I've, I've heard this before, you know. Um, this is elementary stuff here. But... But listen up, because there's a difference between knowing God's love universally, knowing God's love generally, and and knowing God's love 
personally for you. And sometimes, if we're honest, and sometimes if, if we get quiet enough, and maybe sometimes in those moments of prayer, and you start thinking, yeah, God loves me because God has to, but I, I, I don't know if God actually really likes me. Maybe God tolerates us tolerates us enough until we get our act together and, and then God will accept us. Maybe if I, if I get my life together and I, I quit sinning and, and start acting more like Jesus, then, then God would approve of me and, and then God would accept me. But here, here's what it says in Romans chapter 15. It says this, it says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. And how did Christ accept you? How does Christ accept you? When you got it all worked out? When you had all the answers? When, when you read the Bible from cover to cover? No. No, Christ accepted you when you acknowledged that you didn't have it all together. When, when you acknowledge, then you realize that, that you actually have a need and that you needed Christ, that, that I can't do this on my own. And Jesus was there with arms wide open, full of acceptance. And yet we still struggle with that. We still wrestle with loving the person that we know the best and are closest to our very own selves. Sometimes that's the hardest person we have to love. And so let me, let me just dig a little. Let me, let me do some meddling around for a moment. I want to ask you, and answer, answer this truthfully for yourself. But if I were to ask you, what is it that you want to be known for? To really think about that. And if I were to answer that question as truthfully as I could, I'd have to say, I want to be known for being smart. I, I want to be known for kind of having it all together. I mean, yeah, I, I want to be known for being a great dad. I want to be known for being a great husband. I want to be known for being a great pastor. I want to be known for being generous. I want to be known for being just. I want to be known for being organized. I want to be known for all of these things. The wish list goes on and on and on. And there's nothing bad about any of that. But, but if I were to compile that whole wish list and, and distill it all down, then when I think about what I want to be known for, I realize... I want to be known for being faultless. But the problem is, I know my faults better than anyone else. And I know my own shortcomings. And so now there's a tension. And now there's a gap. And you, I would bet, you have your own gap from the you that, that you want to be, that you want to be known for, and the you that you know that you really are. 
And what that gap gets filled in with, if we're not paying attention to it, if we're not careful with it, what fills in that gap just naturally for us is guilt. That feeling of guilt for not measuring up, not being able to measure up to to where we want to be and what we want to be known for when we really know who we are and where we're at. And the really dangerous thing is that guilt can quickly turn in to shame. Maybe it's, I can never measure up because I'm not good enough. And where I'm at, this gap just seems to keep on growing. Where I'm at, that's not enough. That's not good enough. But because... No one is a big fan of those feelings of guilt. We've come up with a solution. And we try to fill that gap with something else. Pretending. That I want to measure up to an unrealistic version of myself. A version that's so far-fetched, so, so wild of my imagination, that the only option that I have to try to fill the gap is to make believe. It's like I want to have superpowers so I can reach that version of myself. But, but since I don't, I always have that feeling that I'm never going to measure up. And so I just pretend. I just make believe. And even though maybe we hung up our capes a long time ago when we were children... We've taken on some other costumes that we like to put up on social media, that, that we, like to, we like to wear when, when we're around people that we want to try to impress and look good upon. So when I was young, this was like three months ago, <clears throat> just kidding. When I was young, um, I wanted to be like Peter Pan, my, my favorite superhero power was, was always flying. I, I wanted to fly for some reason, which is a really hard thing to kind of make believe. Um, but that was always my superpower, is, is that I wanted to fly. So one day, I took my bed sheet off my bed. I tied it around my ceiling fan, kind of lassoed it up there, turned that thing on as high and as fast as it would go, and then I leapt off my bed grabbed onto the bed sheet, and I got a good rotation and a half out of it before the whole thing came out of the ceiling, and I got banged up really pretty bad. Um, I had a pretty wild imagination as a kid, but what I've also learned as an adult is that adults have just as wild of imaginations, but our pretending becomes less innocent. Our pretending becomes less naive. And in fact, we pretend so well that we present our pretend selves out into the world. We pretend so well that we fool ourselves and we blur make-believe with reality. That the person who I put out there, that's the person that's trying to fill in that gap. But that's not the real me. And often, it ends the same way. 
things come crashing down on us, and we get banged up pretty bad. So what do you do? What do you do when, when you don't measure up? You fake it. You pretend. You hide your faults. You, you, even, you even mislead others into thinking that you have those superpowers that you so desperately want and need to try to fill in the gap and gloss over all the guilt that's in there. And we might be able to get away with pretending for a little while. But here's the thing. It's really hard to be loved when you're hiding. It's really hard to be loved when when you're hiding away, when you're pretending, when when you're wearing a costume. And, And it's really hard to love others when you're hiding. It's really hard to love your neighbor when love to you has been a stranger. And so you know your gap. I know my gap. Jesus knows our gaps. But Jesus didn't create us to be superheroes. And Jesus doesn't wait around until we become them before he accepts us. What Jesus does is comes to us and says, let me fill in that gap. Not with your guilt, but with my grace. And so there's this beautiful prayer that, that's out of the book of Ephesians. And as I read it, I, I just want you to just kind of imagine that space. Imagine that gap that you have between where, where you are and those unrealistic expectations that you have of yourself. How big is that for you? Does it, does it just keep growing? And hear these words. Paul says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to really get a hold of this. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You got that image in your head? Is that gap filling up with something else now? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. That that love, that love, that deep, that wide, that long, that high love fills every inch of the gap so that we may come to know that we are enough just as we are. And so that we may come to know that which passes all knowledge and understanding so that we may grasp it, that we are loved and we are capable of loving others. Fred Rogers said, the greatest gift that you can ever give is your honest self. Following the great commandment begins at the end. As you love yourself, love your neighbor. Because when the time comes that your neighbor calls on you, the you who's going to show up for them isn't going to have any superhero powers. The you who shows up is going to be you. 
authentic, honest you. And a you with all the gifts that God has already put into your life. And when you call on me as your pastor, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get a pastor that has superhero powers. I'm not the best counselor. I'm not the most organized. I don't have a ton of scripture memorized. I don't have all the right theological answers. I don't have a flawless business plan for the church. I got a pretty big gap. But when you call on me as your pastor, you'll get me, hopefully as me. Not superhero me, not pretend me, not not make-believe me, but me. Honest me, and that my enough would be enough. We can only know how to love someone when we first know how to love ourselves. And love, you know, love isn't just extreme care of someone. Now that, that, that's nice. But love isn't just taking care of someone. That, that's all good things, but I think we all know people, or, or maybe we know too well ourselves, that you can, you can not love yourself and you can parachute drop into someone's life care for them for a minute and then retreat away. But love is, love is something deeper than that. Love, love is something a little bit stronger than that. Love, love is that active pursuit. That active pursuit of accepting someone just as they are right now. As they are. To accept someone just as they are with, with, with all of their mass with their strength and their fears, their truth and their mixed facade. And the only way to do that is by first offering that acceptance to ourselves as well. Because you can't give away something that you don't have. You can't invite someone into something that you don't know for yourself. And when love is no longer a stranger to you, then you'll be able to love your neighbor. And that's the beginning of following the greatest commandment, of loving your neighbor as yourself.